So let's take some time to pray together. Oh, Lord Jesus, uh, you are the great high priest, the one, Lord, who even now continues to intercede for your people, Lord, and for the world before the Father. For, Lord, you know that without you, we are horribly lost, and often we don't even realize it. And yet, Lord, just as we have sung, Lord, there is nothing that you're love, no extent, no wall that it won't tear down, no lie, Lord, that you won't break through in order, Lord, to restore us to a life-changing relationship with you. Lord, I want to pray especially today for, uh, for those who have been spending the night in our gymnasium this past month. Lord, those who are homeless, and uh, Lord, I thank you for the opportunity, Lord, that you have given us to be able to come alongside what you are doing and want done in the world. For Lord, you are the one who wants to gather people into, into families. You are the one who wants to uh, eradicate loneliness and lostness. Lord, I um, also want to... Uh, want to lift up before you, Lord, those who are experiencing, some are in care homes, in hospitals, some recovering at home. Lord, you are the God who, Lord Jesus, when you came so often, you looked out over the crowds, and you were the great healer. And Lord Jesus, ultimately, you came to heal not only physical ailments and diseases, but ultimately, Lord, to restore relationship with you. And so, Lord, we thank you that uh, you are the God who is still about that, still at work doing that. And, Lord, I pray that as we open up your word today, Lord, we would see you anew, be challenged, inspired, Lord, anew by your example and by your call to us, Lord, that we might be the people of God. Amen. Well, we are nearing, not quite at the end, the penultimate end of our series that we have been doing on First Peter, Exiles on Mission. So next week we'll be finishing it, but uh, today the passage we'll be looking at, Peter addresses leaders and followers. I don't know about you, but I grew up hearing that some people are born leaders, you know, the take-charge types, who even from young have this uncanny desire and ability to get the other kids in the playground to go along with their idea or their plan. Sometimes a good one, sometimes not so good. Well, I was not one of those kids. I was not one of those teenagers. And yet somewhere along the way, I found myself called into leadership by God and others. I came to resonate deeply with a book that I read. Eugene Peterson just did the foreword to the book, but that was worth the book itself. He said, there are no born leaders. I thought, I'm with you. And his rationale was really simple. He said, we all begin by following. We start out by following our parents, our siblings, older children in the neighborhood. Later, we follow teachers, coaches, bosses, managers, counselors, and guides. And then somewhere along the way, whether we intend it or not, whether we want it or not, whether we realize it or not, people start following us. 
all of us at some time and in some way become leaders. People see what we're doing, see where we're going, and since it looks like we know what we're doing and where we're going, they follow. Which means most of us become leaders before we know how to be leaders. For some people, this is exciting. Like a dream come true, and they take to it like ducks to water. They find that they like being in charge, like being in the lead role, like being followed, like the way it feeds their sense of worth and significance. It looks and feels like they were born to be leaders. For other people, becoming a leader is about the last thing they want to do. There's stories in the Bible about this Saul. When he was being called to leader, they had to go look. He was hiding out among the baggage, it says. And Moses' favorite, or favorite, I don't know, it's a famous line. That God is calling him, and he finally says, please send someone else. A reluctant leader. And, you know, people like this, people start looking to them for guidance, something they never asked or intended. Like Moses, they wish they could just go back to being a follower. But we can't, at least not all of the time, because just as God graciously put each of us in places and in relationships where we are influenced by others, so too he puts us in places and relationships where we influence others. The truth is, good leadership is a gift from God to his people. The Apostle Peter, he knew this firsthand, having lived and worked and served with the greatest leader that there has ever been or ever will be, Jesus himself. Perhaps one of the greatest testimonies to Jesus' influence on Peter's life and leadership is in the very nature of Peter's appeal and instructions that he gives for us. See if you can catch them. We're going to read 1 Peter chapter 5, verses 1 to 5. He begins, To the elders among you, I appeal as a fellow elder and a witness of Christ's sufferings, who will also share in the glory to be revealed. Be shepherds of God's flock that is under your care, watching over them, not because you must, but because you are willing as God wants you to be, not pursuing dishonest gain, but eager to serve, not lording it over those entrusted to you, but being examples to the flock. And when the chief shepherd appears, you will receive the crown of glory that will never fade away. In the same way, you who are younger, submit yourselves to your elders. All of you, clothe yourselves with humility toward one another, because God opposes the proud, but shows favor to the humble. Well, Peter addresses himself to the elders in the churches, I think in a remarkable way. Think about, here's the apostle who is presented in Acts as the original leader of the church in Jerusalem, the apostle of the Jews, as the apostle Paul called him, the one Jesus appointed as the rock on which he would build his church. And yet here he is content to say that he is a fellow elder, called to leadership on the same terms and to the same task as they are. The Greek word translated elder simply means an older man. So sometimes it's not clear whether it means an 
old, older church leader or just an older member of the church. And so uh, one of the commentators translates it, to any elders among you. Culturally, in the ancient world, most leaders were older men, so the term elders was a natural one. But it was not always the case. Not, that is, not all were older, were older and not all were men. For example, we know from Paul's letters to Timothy that he was a, a younger elder. He says, don't let anyone look down on you because you are young. And we know also that those in, uh, and he was sent to Ephesus on a very challenging assignment to correct those who had gone astray, and most of them were elders who were much older than him. That's a challenging assignment. And we know from Acts that Priscilla and her husband Aquila were both leaders, and that there were many male and female prophets in the early church. Just look at Paul's letter to the Romans, chapter 16, and you will see a whole list of male and female leaders named there. Now, while commentator I. Howard Marshall is certainly correct that the, the line between respect for the older men as older men and for them as church leaders would certainly have been a fuzzy one, but given the job description that follows Peter here, I think he's likely addressing all church leaders. He is saying your role in your local congregation is the same in principle as mine in shepherding the church more widely. And in doing so, I think he is impressing upon them the significance, the responsibility that they have been given. This is very important. And Peter's appeal is also based on his experience, he says, as a witness of Christ's sufferings. Now, he certainly was a witness of Jesus' agony in Gethsemane. I was just reading in my Bible, reading this morning in Matthew. He witnessed Jesus' arrest, his death on the cross, though noted from a safe distance. But he also seems to have his and, I think, their lived experience in mind. Earlier on, in chapter 4, verse 13, he talked about how together they were participants in Christ's sufferings in the present. And that their participation in his sufferings in the present are qualifying them also to share in the glory, Peter says, to be revealed. It's the other side of the coin we talked about last week. Suffering on one side in this life, but on the other side, eternal glory. Those go together. And so their role is a high and a holy calling. So what are the specifics then of Peter's appeal? What does he charge them to actually do? Well, he begins by saying, in general, be shepherds of God's flock. Tend the flock, maybe literally. Now this metaphor of a, a leader as a shepherd, it has a long history in Israel and in, among their neighbors in the ancient world. In the Old Testament, of course, God himself is pictured as the shepherd of his people. And the leaders that he appointed as his under-shepherds, his associate shepherds. And Jesus picked up on, in, in Ezekiel, there's a whole long chapter about how the shepherds in Israel have been terrible shepherds. Fleecing the flock, just doing it for their own good. And uh, Jesus picks up on that critique of the bad shepherds. 
And he came then as the promised one that God had promised in Ezekiel, a good shepherd that I will send. And Jesus, in John's gospel, talks about, I am the good shepherd. I am that one who is shepherding, caring for God's people the way that God intended. And he also then describes the shepherd metaphor with his disciples to describe their task. Perhaps the most famous is in the last chapter of John's gospel. Peter had said, God, Jesus, I'm going to follow you. I'm even going to give my life for you. And Jesus said, no, you're going to betray me. And Peter did that. He crashed and he burned. And yet in John 21, Jesus is restoring him. And, uh, and he asked them three times, Peter, do you love me? And each time when Peter says yes, he says, feed my lambs. And then he says, take care of my sheep. And the third time he says, feed my sheep. He's recalling him to that original assignment. I want you to be my shepherd. And the disciples understood themselves always to be working under the chief shepherd. And that people's need for a shepherd and shepherding was of critical importance. Well, the fellow elders also, he says, should act like overseers. That is, watching over the ones under their care. The Greek word Peter and the other New Testament writers use is episkope. Episcopal, you've heard that word perhaps. A person with supervisory responsibilities. It's the word Peter used back in chapter 2, verse 25, to describe Jesus as the chief overseer of his people, watching over them with care and attention. It includes leading, guiding, feeding, teaching, protecting what a shepherd does. In, uh, in Acts chapter uh, 20, verse 28 to 31, the Apostle Paul is, is gathering together with the elders of Ephesus. And he calls them together, and he says, let's see, 20... And he says, uh, keep watch over yourselves and all the flock of which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers. Notice, not self-appointed, but the Spirit called you to this. Be shepherds of the church of God, which he bought with his own blood. That's pretty valuable and important. And he says, I know that after I leave, savage wolves will come in among you and will not spare the flock. Even from your own number, men will arise and distort the truth in order to draw away disciples after them. So be on your guard critically important. And uh, this is what we find happening in, in the New Testament, what, they, what the Peter and Paul are trying to do through their letters to shepherd the people, and what Timothy and Titus are doing in the, letter, in the churches that they have gone to kind of get back on track. Well, shepherding elders should also serve, Peter says, with the right motives and in the right manner. Peter identifies improper motives there to avoid and proper ones they are to embrace. First, he says, don't do it because you have to. Now, he probably said that because if, as many think, age played a critical role in the assignment of the pastoral ministry. You know, well, you're of that age, you're the older one in the group, and you are now in, in, in leadership. 
Well, then you could see why some people might feel pressured or forced into the role. They've been following, and now suddenly you need to be the leader. Now, it's one thing to feel reluctant because of feelings of insufficiency. I mean, there was lots of, most of the people God called in the Bible, beginning with Moses, you know, I don't know how to speak. He will say, Jeremiah is like, I'm just a child. (laughs) You know, you're choosing the wrong ones here. There's reluctance because they recognize that what God is calling them to is impossible, impossible without his help. But it is quite another to resist. So when Moses says, I've got this speech impediment, and God says, okay, your, your brother Aaron speaks really well. I'll, I'll, he'll be your spokesman. Moses just keeps coming up with another excuse. And finally he says, please send someone else. That's reluctance. Or Jonah is perhaps the most famous example where he didn't just say no. He, he headed in the opposite direction to get as far away from this assignment as he could. That is not what God wants. And he doesn't want us also to do it, but to be absolutely miserable while we do it. I think uh, Jonah was a miserable prophet. He just went, it seems, and did the bare minimum. By contrast, someone who volunteers willingly and is eager to serve, what an incredible blessing they are to others. I've seen it. I've experienced it in the church. Haven't you? In fact, I I have an assignment for you right now. You've got about a minute or two to turn to one or two other people around you and say, I have seen someone serving willingly and eagerly. And if you haven't, well, I want you to turn and, and just share somewhere that you've seen that. Someone serving willingly and eagerly. Okay. Now that is, encur- that is much encouraging. That's much better than somebody who's just faking it till they can, you know, or they have to be there. I don't know if you ever had a teacher like that in school sometimes. Well, it's a reminder, serve with a good attitude, not a bad attitude. And don't serve also, Peter says, for what you can get out of it. What's in it for me? Now, he says here, greedy for money. Sometimes people can be greedy for people's praise. They'll only do something if they're going to get public recognition. Just so you know, none of our elders receive financial compensation for what they do, but we as pastoral staff do. And none of us are in it for the money. But we are grateful for the support that we receive that enables us to do what we do. But we do what we do ultimately because God called us to it and God's people affirmed that.
I'll admit I do not always do what I do willingly, nor eagerly. And I suspect some of you don't either. If you're a parent, you know there, there are those moments when you really only get up in the middle of the night, you know, or, you know, you just do what you're doing some days, sometimes, because you're the parent. But most of the time, we ought to be doing it willingly, eagerly, or we will be miserable, and so will those under our care. Finally, or fourthly, Peter urges the elders to lead by example, not by pressuring and domineering others. And what Peter says sounds a lot like the famous leader that he served under, Jesus. For example, Jesus in 10, Mark 10, 42, he said, you know that those who were regarded as rulers of the Gentiles, they lorded over them, and their high officials exercised authority with them. And then he says, guys, not so with you. And Jesus will lead by example, most famously, he will say leadership is about service, and at the at the Last Supper, he was the one that will wash his disciples' feet. Nothing is below, beneath his dignity to do. You know, power can so easily corrupt leaders. Commentator Scott McKnight says, Instead of seeking God's agenda, power-hungry church leaders pursue their own, doing what they can to increase their own reputation. There's a, a line in, Jeremiah, in the prophet Jeremiah, Jeremiah 45, verse 5. The Lord gives words to King Jehoiakim, who was one of those power-hungry leaders. And he says, should you then seek great things for yourself? Do not seek them. Instead of leading by domineering, Peter urges elders to lead by example like Jesus did washing their feet. Jesus made time for the little children in so many different ways. Jesus led by example. And it is an important, a critical principle for all Christian leaders, parents, wherever you serve, live, have any kind of influence. This call to lead by example, it is so common and frequent in the New Testament. Uh, Hebrews chapter 13 Remember your leaders who spoke the word of God to you. Consider the outcome of their way of life and imitate their faith. Oh, that that could be said of us. None of us are perfect examples. But we can still model humility and repentance when we misuse or abuse our power or fail. It's still an opportunity to model well, fifthly, Peter's appeal to the elders to carry out their ministry with the right motives and in the right manners was rooted in a relationship with them as, follow, as a fellow elder. And now in verse 4, he adds an additional motivation for this sacred service. He gives a sacred promise. The, their greatest reward will come from the chief shepherd himself. When he appears and bestows on all of his under-shepherds the crown of glory, he says, that will never fade away. So many, I think all, of our glories in this life fade. I remember, you know, in 4-H club winning some trophies. You know, inevitably, a few of them fell and broke. 
Or they just, I don't know, they started to tarnish. The ribbons faded. Um, you know, there were records, you know, it may have done and they get all get surpassed. I think it might, sometimes it's hard to imagine what that would be like to receive a crown of glory that will never fade or diminish. I mean, everything fades and diminishes in this life. But it's not going to. And those who receive it will never doubt for a moment that their faithful sacrifices and service weren't worth it. Never once. If anything, they may wonder why they didn't give even more. I think about that moment, that ending scene in the movie Schindler's List. When he realizes, oh, he had something else yet that he could have sold to save a few more people. His, his mindset had totally changed over the course of that to that of caring for others. And there's a power in remembering what the goal is, what we're about. There are two more groups that Peter addresses besides the elders. You who are younger and all of you. So I think he covers everybody there, right? You who are younger, he says, in the same way to submit themselves to their elders. Now, you know as well as I do that respect for one's elders and those in positions of authority is a deeply shared value. It was a deeply shared value in that culture as it is in many non-Western cultures today. But it has been so deeply eroded in our culture that any call to submission is often met with resistance, right? Sometimes for good reason. There will always be those and have always been those who abuse power and position, and no one is ever beyond being held accountable. I mean, Paul, when he writes to Timothy in chapter 5, he says, uh, Do not entertain an accusation against an elder unless it is brought by two or three witnesses. So don't just be flippant about this. Follow the proper protocol. But those elders who are sinning are to reprove you are to reprove before everyone so that others may take warning. So it wasn't just a kind of a blank slate of, you know, of following. Most often, as Hebrews 13 verse 17 says, the goal is to have confidence, he says, in your leaders and submit to their authority because they keep watch over you as those who must give an account. Do this so that their work will be a joy, not a burden. For that would be of no benefit to you. Kids, your parents' job should be a joy, not a burden. And maybe the other way around too. But you, you, you know that of which I speak. And in the last half of verse 5, Peter calls on everyone to clothe yourselves with humility toward one another. And he, and he roots it in an Old Testament scripture in a proverb. Ultimately, we are all accountable, he is saying, to God for our posture and our approach to one another. This posture and approach of mutual respect is something that we all need to nurture, whatever our age or position. And, uh, and the language he uses, yourselves, it's a middle voice. That is, you're responsible to do this. Well, two applications. First, I think, 
It's a call to check our motives for ministry. Peter provides a a virtual checklist of proper and improper motives. Ask yourself, why do I serve? Why am I serving God in the church in this case? Am I willing and eager to serve in the areas I am needed, gifted, and called, or not? Sometimes, you know, you may be asked to do something and you really want to help, but you think, like, that is totally not me. You've misread me. I'm. But other times, do you stop and do you pray about it? I can remember being asked to take on a leadership role, and it was really easy for me, knowing that that was way beyond me. It was just like, no. Uh, would you be willing to pray about it? Okay, I'll pray about it. But I was still sure it was no. And it, wouldn't it be just like God? And then over the period of three days, three different things, people who had no idea going on, and as they're talking to me, one is sharing a story as I'm visiting him in the hospital about how did we get on this topic of how he got called into a leadership, and he didn't, and it's like as he's sharing the story, it's like, oh no. <laughs> I can hear you loud and clear, God. That no is, is caving in. And by the third time, it's like, okay, I've struck out. Yeah. I was so sure it was no. But, I had to pray, but after I prayed about it, then God got my attention. Do I ask what God wants or just decide based on what I want? And I think also about the power. What would those around me say about how I use my power and influence? I know as a, as a pastor over the years, I've been in settings in which somebody has a vision, and I, I agree with that, you know, and they want me to use my influence to implement that vision and to kind of push that through. But I also know that when there's a vision that isn't shared by that person, that they do not want me to do that, <laughs> right? And so a challenge in leadership, right, is how do we use the power influ influence? We should always be doing it for the greater good. Is God calling us to this? And is this for the greater good? Or is it just my pet hobby horse that I have? So check your motives for ministry. Check. And, uh, yeah, not, don't check my motives for ministry. No, you can do <laughs> We do need to check one another's motives for ministry. But. Uh, and secondly, practice humility, submission, and support. Be humble enough to listen to others, but listen in a way that you value what they have to share. I have a cartoon I could have shown, but I always copyright things all the time, you know, and, and the, person was, the person wasn't seeing how the person was listening. It's so good to talk to somebody, you know, who's actually listening, and while they're listening, the person is trying to balance a pencil on their nose. You know, they're not really listening. They're listening, but they're not really listening. They're not valuing what the person has to say. And you think about it, how many of those even brief encounters that people had with Jesus 
I think they felt like even if they only talked to him <laughs> for a couple minutes, that he had their undivided, he, they had his undivided attention. It was as if that was the only person that was there at that moment. That's a special thing. To practice humility, you know, I'm just giving an example in our listening. And I think also when we talk about submission, we shouldn't confuse submission with subservience. That is unquestioning obedience. Submission is showing appropriate respect and support. But support includes speaking up, sharing ideas, suggestions, even constructive feedback. Uh, you know, a while ago, uh, someone, you know, kind of sent me a note, and they, you know, that I had said some things that were culturally insensitive and inappropriate. I didn't know that. How would I have known that? That is a gift to be able to have somebody say, you know what, this is how it came across. We need that, right? That's support. Support looks like that, too. And uh, that is not being unsubmissive. And I think a good question to ask is, how can I encourage and support a leader in our church this week? Ask yourself that. Maybe you came up with an idea earlier on about somebody who serves willingly and eagerly, but they've never heard that. Maybe your assignment this week is to actually go to that person. You know, when we were talking about it, I thought of you. I really appreciate what you do. Now, I saw some. Last week, there was a, I think it was, yeah, Ron Veer posted on our Facebook page. Don't you love something to the effect of, don't you love all those beautiful leaves? But there are a lot of work to clean up. And I don't know if you came. Did you, when you, did you notice this week when you came to church? There are no leaves in the parking lot or around the property, you know, and, and posted, you know, we're ready for winter. Ron said, special thanks to Ron, Glenn, Gary, and Phil for cleaning up all of those leaves. There were a lot of them. Thanks to the people who helped. Willingly. Eagerly. It's an encouragement when we see people serving willingly. Isn't it? That's the way God wants it to be. So you got your assignment for the week? Okay. Worship team, if you could come up at this time. As they're coming, let's pray. Oh, Lord Jesus, we thank you that you are always and continue to be the chief shepherd and overseer of our souls. That is our very being. And Lord, there are lost sheep that you are still longing to gather into your fold. Lord, the good news is that uh, you have invited us to participate with what you are doing and what done in this world. Your great shepherding work. Sometimes it is standing up to protect those who are being oppressed or harmed or ostracized and to welcome them in. Sometimes it is to teach them a better way, the way that you have taught us how to live. Sometimes it is modeling. Sometimes it is just practicing humility ourselves. 
Lord, I thank you that you are the perfect example and that you um, invite us to the work that you are doing. Lord, may we uh, be those who encourage and support others, whether they are people over us or whether they are people under us who are helping to do the work. Lord, that together you might be glorified, that more people, Lord, might be cared for, might be brought into a life-changing relationship with you. Amen. Thank you, Nathan and worship team. The opening song, well, you chose some great songs, but the opening song this morning was uh, one that I needed to hear. So thank you for that. So that's your assignment to go and, uh, and share an, a word of encouragement with someone leading in some capacity. It can be, maybe you're in a grocery store lineup and you see a parent in a challenging situation. <laughs> maybe they need a word of encouragement. I want to leave you with a verse from... Uh, the end of the book of Hebrews. Oh, just before I do that, just a reminder, if you would like prayer, we've got uh, uh, Susan is going to be here from our prayer team is going to be available to pray with you after the service. I encourage you to take advantage of that. Now may the God of peace, who through the blood of the eternal covenant brought back from the dead our Lord Jesus, that great shepherd of the sheep, equip you with everything good for doing his will, and may he work in us what is pleasing to him. Through Jesus Christ, to whom be glory forever and ever. Amen. Amen.